This is Dangerous Vision, a production of the Massachusetts Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired. So does that mean you're not uh, pushing the boundaries uh, hard enough? That is a really good question, and that's very possible. Oh, so many questions. I mean, the problem was, you know, the first mistake was being in an old girl's door. Meet Robin Mandel. Yeah, I kind of started thinking about it. Robin knows a thing or two about dating different people or putting myself out there in the dating world. And relationships. And then I went off to guide dog school. And sex. If you don't know if there's a romantic undertone, freaking ask. But instead of becoming a nun, you decided to start a website about sex. I'm not going to give any details, but... We're here today with Robin Mandel, who is the proprietor of the Ready, Sexy, Able website, a yoga instructor, and uh, we're very, very happy to have her here today. Robin, uh, welcome to the Dangerous Vision Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. I was looking at the Ready, Sexy, Able site. Why don't you tell us a little first about what that site is? Sure. Um, I started Ready, Sexy, Able to kind of pull together and document material about relationships and sex and sexuality and disability. Um, So I have a pretty extensive resource list there, everything from books to websites to organizations. Um, And I cover a lot of topics uh, across disability and it could be everything from the how-tos of sex to how to talk to sex, uh, talk about sex with your medical provider, um, to things like how to manage pregnancy. I know I have a resource linked about um, documents for healthcare providers to provide care to people with different disabilities during and after pregnancy. Um, and it's not clear on the site at this point, but I'm shifting a little bit now towards documenting sex and disability in history. So I was looking at the site and I saw sort of uh, uh, on the first page, and I, I won't get the wording right, but there was something along the lines of if there's anything here that sort of bothers or offends you, email me here and, and then you had a link. And uh, I was curious whether you've uh, received emails from people at that link. Nobody has ever been concerned or offended by what I've written on the site. So does that mean you're not uh, pushing the boundaries uh, hard enough? That is a really good question, and that's very possible. <laughs> you know, it seems like if you're if you're if you're talking about sex and nobody's getting upset. No, obviously the problem. Uh, maybe maybe it's a good thing uh, in some ways and bad in others. But but with the internet is that uh, it, it's probably that the people who who would be likely to be offended by anything you'd write on the site, uh, I suppose maybe just just don't come to the site. Right? Uh, they've got their own places on the internet to look at. Yeah, that that we'll we'll say that. But uh, you know, you're right. I might not be pushing the boundaries enough. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's try to push some boundaries. So right. let's let's talk about blindness. So I'll, I'll start with my I have retinitis pigmentosa, and so 
I still see a little bit, but not very much. Um, and uh, but it's been it's been sort of a long, slow decline. So during my you know kind of uh, uh, dating life before I met my wife, I I uh, was um, uh, I was just a guy with really really bad eyesight. Uh, not so much not so much blind dating. And I definitely have lots of uh, commentary on on uh, dating as a guy with really really bad eyesight. But but if you tell us sort of uh, where you are in terms of you know do you are you uh, do you see some, uh, give us a sense of where you are on that and, and how long that's been the case. And, and we can uh, talk a little about, about blind dating, understanding where you're coming from. Yeah, I am totally blind, no light perception at all. And I lost my vision when I was four years old. So, oh my gosh, it's been 34 years. So you didn't do any dating prior to... Not prior, no, no. I hope I did. wasn't dating at four years old. <laughs> yeah, let's let's um, let's say not. The yeah. um, okay. I, I'm actually married to somebody with RP, so oh, is that right? I'm kind of familiar with that uh, idea of the person who just has really bad eyesight. Yeah, well, you know the the um, uh, the, the dangerous vision title is sort of a, a self mocking joke by me about around the idea that um, that uh, you know uh, uh, people like me have just enough vision to be dangerous or, or something like that, you know, because um, you know we can fake it pretty good, right? You might see me coming down the hall and think that I'm sighted, and then you might not think that you need to get out of the way of me because, of course, I'm going to get out of your way uh, because I seem like a sighted person, but in fact, then I'll just uh, uh, knock you right over and. and and uh, uh, it's a, a, a big mess as the cream pies all land us. White canes help a lot with that. Yes. And in fact, I do use one now, but I, and I probably should have started using it maybe five years before I did. Mm. But what happens in a circumstance like mine is there's never a day when you wake up and say, oh, I'm a blind guy today. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what yeah. happens is, you know, you, it's like you're a kid and you have bad eyesight. But, you know, I still went out and, you know, I could still play ping pong when I was 12 years old and stuff like that. And I could still play, you know, by the time I was, you know, 20 years old, I couldn't play ping pong anymore, but I could still play basketball because that's mm. a big orange ball you know and then and then you know there's just like it just kind of keeps going and and at some point though you know well for for me there was a big moment when i uh i was crossing uh crossing 55th street in manhattan and i i had my foot run over uh because i waited a little too long to cross the light and that that was kind of a life-saving experience for me i think because you know i was in a cast for four weeks so you know i'd had close calls before but i just said to myself oh everything was fine i didn't get killed i i can still see fine and then when you have something like that happen to and and, you know, you're in the hospital and all you realize, wait a minute, I need to make a change. And that was when I got serious about using the cane and stuff like that. So tell me about uh, tell me about being a blind teenager. Can we start there? Uh, we'll get to we'll get to, you know, the later in life. But I think for many people, the most, you know, stressful period of dating is is, you know, sort of high school, college age. And uh, so tell me tell me about that experience. I didn't do it. I just didn't <laughs> date. Um, I went to a school for the blind, so it was very small, insular environment, and I think I had one person express interest in me in my entire time in high school, and I was not interested in him. They are. So then, so tell me when you got uh, seriously interested in dating and, and how that all uh, played out. And, and then we can expand more broadly beyond you. This isn't to, you know, grill you personally, but just to get a little background for you to tell everything you've learned about, uh, about blind dating. But, uh, but so tell us a little more about your situation and then we'll, and then we'll, we'll go broad. Um, huh, when I got interested in dating, well, 
you know, I kind of started thinking about it and thinking about dating different people or you know, putting myself out there in the dating world. And then I went off to guide dog school. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to give any details, but yes, I was one of those people who got involved with somebody at guide dog school. I, I don't is that, is that like a whole hookup culture there at guide dog well, school? Oh, no I wouldn't say I hooked <laughs> up, but <clears throat> pardon me. It's a little bit of a uh, stereotype. Um, is that right? I don't actually recommend it. Guide dog school okay. is busy, is hectic, is exhausting, and you really need to just focus on you and your dog and getting enough sleep. So mm-hmm. really don't. Don't do it. Um, But that was probably my first really intense experience. Oh, and the person was entirely unsuitable for me. I see. (laughs) So that just lasted as long as it lasted. um, But the dog was suitable. No, actually, that one wasn't, unfortunately. Um, (laughs) She might have done a little bit better if I had been a little more well-behaved at guide dog school. I see. I see. Um, You didn't focus on building the the, the important relationship from the get-go. Well, yeah. I mean, I I wouldn't say that was the cause of all the the mayhem and tears, but um, I'm just reinforcing that, yeah. The important relationship as guide, at guide dog school is person and dog. So then I accidentally met one of the loves of my life. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, and we met on mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. chat site for blind people. This is back in 2002. It wasn't a dating site. It was just kind of a general chatting site. And it was a very uh, amateur sort of um, deal where somebody just cobbled this site together to be accessible and people were using it. And then it crashed and I didn't even have the person's last name that I was feeling very attracted to. But he somehow cobbled together all the things I told him about myself and went to trusty old Google and found me. Those were the days of mailing lists. So I had put an introduction of on a mailing list and it had all the pertinent details in it. And we are now 16 years later, happily into a 14 year marriage. And I moved uh, countries to live with him. I was living in Canada. I was born in Canada. And then about four and a half years ago, we made the first decision together to move to a new city. And we moved to Seattle. And I love That's Seattle. So, so tell me about uh, what you've, you know, things you've learned about blind dating that are, you know, uh, that people might not know, either that other blind people may not know or that non-blind listeners may not know. Uh, obviously, you've been running the site. You must have encountered a lot of interesting you know, discussions by different people. And uh, why don't you uh, share with us? Yeah, I hear a lot from people that they find it hard to break into the mm-hmm. dating pool. Um, the, and I think some of it is that very visual... Uh, theme of 
you go to parties, you go to bars and hang out, and that's mm. how you meet people. But in reality, we meet people all kinds of ways. Um, I think that a lot of blind people are finding it easier to meet people online because we can actually get to know mm. the person first. Um, so that kind of begs the question of, do I try dating by going on a dating site? Or do I try dating just by getting to know people? And usually when people are asking my advice, I tell them to focus on mm -hmm. making friends, on meeting people, on developing hobbies, on um, finding common interest groups online and in person. You know, if you're in college, start going to groups that talk about things you're interested in or uh, volunteer gigs that align with your interests or study groups for class. And it's not that we're going to get a date out of the first trip to, you know, the local pottery class or you know, study group for Bio 201. Um, it's more about exposure and it's more about finding the people who aren't scared of us. I think that's part of it is if we're not trying, if we're dating outside of the blindness milieu, as it were, um, looking to meet people in person and we aren't living in a world where we just hang around blind people, there are people who are not going to want to try to interact with us. You know, why, why wouldn't we want to go with the, uh, the online dating scene? Why isn't that a better approach? No reason at all, except that most of the sites are terribly inaccessible to screen readers, and I oh. don't know how screen, magni screen magnifiers do mm -hmm. with them. Um, so, but no, no reason at all. It's, it's about choice. Mm -hmm. um, I think it can pose its own difficulties where people are you know, there's a lot of focus on pictures. You know, Tinder, for example, mm -hmm. is very picture-oriented. Right. Um, so that makes it a little tough when people are judging us based on pictures, but we can't judge them. Mm -hmm. um, but no, no reason at all. It's uh, We have choices and we get to exercise our own choices. A lot of what I'm encountering... Um, people talking about trying to date, uh, they talk about the dating websites and it is that in inaccessibility and it That's... is that inability to see pictures um, and just the navigation, just to get a profile mm -hmm. set up and then start looking for possible matches. Again, it's not that it can't be done. And just hearing from people that it's taking a lot of work. That's and really interesting. Yeah. Has, has, have you heard any good feedback? Are there any sites that people say, hey, uh, this is a site that is either is more accessible in terms of its design, even if you can't see the pictures, at least working your way through the process is more manageable, or maybe a site that asks for more in the way of description 
Um, as opposed, you know, obviously pictures are going to be an important part of most dating sites, but uh, but there could be some where they they ask people to give more in the way of descriptive information that might be helpful. By any, any anything you've heard, especially good feedback or at least less bad. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, less bad, definitely. Okay, Cupid. Cupid, draw back your bow and let your arrow go straight to my lover's heart for me. Ready, Sexy Abel's got sex right in the name. So, you know, why don't we, uh, let's go there. Um, when it comes to blind people, are there a lot of, uh, are there a lot of issues around sex or is it pretty much, hey, most people have sex in the dark anyway and so it doesn't matter that much? <laughs> I think the biggest issue would be that, well, uh, sex education in schools is super lousy in general for everybody of any ability um blind people sometimes tend to miss out um sometimes sex ed is provided during the kind of phys ed health module and a lot of blind kids are pulled out of that either because the teacher doesn't think doesn't know how to modify phys ed for blind kids or yeah. because you know that's the time when they do their O&M and other kind of blindness skills stuff so to start off with yeah blind kids can end up missing out on sex ed mm. what little sex ed there is um and also the kind of the peer to peer sex ed which is not always accurate is sometimes <laughs> <say> the least. <laughs> inaccurate, but it does get the brain cells churning. Mm-hmm. Um, or even the stuff like going to the drugstore when you're 12 years old and picking up the tampon boxes and giggling about the tampon boxes or uh, picking up the condom boxes and giggling over the condom boxes. You learned a little bit when you look at the illustration on the tampon box. Um, it's not exactly anatomically accurate in terms of having all the little bits in it, but it's better than nothing. So that seems uh, like a meaningful problem and one that's pretty solvable. Has anybody – are you aware of any sites on the web that have kind of basic sex education laid out in a way that that recognizes that the visuals aren't going to be there for people? Because, you know, that seems like something that a, a determined person with a few weeks of work could do a, a you know, a fairly solid job of, of, uh, of posting something that could really be valuable to a lot of people all around the world. Online, yes. There's a website uh, – specifically aimed at young people um so it doesn't have some of the more sexual parts that websites for adults would um but it's very detailed on uh relationships bodies how sex acts work what different terms mean um scarletine.com and i can 
Send oh yeah, I followed the link from your your site to that to one article yeah. there. Scarletine. Yeah, that's great. And we'll and we can post on on the Dangerous Vision when we put up the pod. We'll we'll put up the the link there because uh, yeah, we like to give as much like really concrete information on this podcast as we can that that'll help people. So that's uh, uh, that sounds really great. I think that's really valuable. Any other while we're at it, other other web resource. Obviously, there's Ready Ready Sexy Able itself, and are there other web resources that you uh, recommend to people? Because I feel like one of the easiest ways. For for us to add value is just to tell people about sites they can go to that have information that they wouldn't know about otherwise. Honestly, those two pretty much cover it. Um, I have, as I said before, a pretty extensive resource list on Ready, Sexy, Able um, with links to everything from how to do sex um, to coping with the aftermath of sexual assault, to pregnancy, um, all of that kind of stuff. And then Scarletine, well, they've been around for 20 years, so they have a massive library of everything from reproductive health to, well, what does oral sex mean? And what happens? Why can't I orgasm? All that kind of stuff. So really good stuff. Excellent. Excellent. The um, You mentioned hearing aids. I was switching gears here for a sec. And it's just, you know, I just read this really interesting article. I think it was on Bloomberg a couple of weeks ago about America's biggest hearing aid company. And, and they were saying how, uh, I think the article was called something like, uh, the latest generation of wearable device is a hearing aid, right? And it basically was talking about how they're they're either either to some extent have achieved or are predicting these uh, incredible breakthroughs in terms of you know essentially saying everybody's going to have a hearing aid in there. It's just going to be like you know the cool hip thing to do because it's going to translate twenty seven languages for you and it's going to uh, you know enable access to your internet. Now I I wear a pair of uh, Beats X by Dre headphones around my neck at all times and I pop one in my ear whenever I. I want to read a book or, or, or do other things. Um, are, are your hearing aids connected to your phone, uh, like a Bluetooth type connection, or, or do we not have that uh, kind of set up in place? And any, any thoughts you want to share on anything related to hearing? I'd love to, uh, love to hear, as it were. <laughs> um, right now, I am using a, a little piece of hardware as a conduit between my hearing aids and iPhone. So it's basically a hands-free mic, Mm -hmm. so I can talk into it, but it's also connected to my, it's connected to my phone, but also to my hearing aids. So any verbiage that comes through my phone is piped directly into my hearing aids. All right, and do you want to do you want to mention any any uh, if, if if there's a a brand or product that you're a big fan of, like tell us because like people don't know what to buy, you know, and it's, so uh, honestly, that is very individual um, okay. because it's made by my hearing aid company, mm-hmm. and I don't tend to promote one hearing aid company over another because everybody's hearing needs are so different. Okay, Fair you know, enough. the trick that, that is to go to an audiologist and get an evaluation, go to a hearing aid person, get fitted with what works for your lifestyle and your hearing needs. 
Very good. And so, but the point is, if, so tell me about how you read. I know that you're you're a book lover as am I. Um, mm. And sometimes it surprises people when they find out that blind people are book lovers. But of course, uh, you know, A, some people are able to use Braille. I, I unfortunately am not. But uh, now we have these sort of amazing technologies uh, that can read out loud to us at, at, at varying speeds and so forth. So what's what's your preferred method for, for reading books? I read audio and Braille. Okay. Um, when I read audio, I always use headphones because it's easier for me to integrate material when it's coming right into my ears. Mm-hmm. The further away it is from my head, the harder I'm going to have to work to listen to it. And when it's I'm all- in bed reading a novel before bed, before sleep, I don't want to have to work hard. I don't really um, that at all. I, I often fall asleep with a head one headphone in my ear, you know, listening to a listening to a book or or whatever. And then and then how do you how do you uh, how do you access books? Do you use Bookshare? I um, use you- Bookshare. I use the Bard Library of Congress digital downloads. I buy commercial audiobooks because I can. Mm-hmm. I buy Kindle books. I read those. Um, I get Library of Congress to send me stuff in Braille. I, basically, any way I can access books, I will. I, as, as I often say, I have a book-buying problem. Okay. Growing up <laughs> as a blind child, not being able to own my own books, I'm making up for that in adulthood. So, so, um, so I want to. I, 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 I warned you ahead of time that I would ask you about favorite books, and we'll come back to that topic more in a minute. But, but before we leave dating, romance, and sex, let me ask you if you have any book recommendations uh, specifically related to those topics. I'll just uh, to buy you a second to think because I didn't warn you that I would ask you this specific question. <laughs> I really enjoyed um, uh, the book Modern Romance by the comedian Aziz Ansari. He he. Um, uh, uh, he, he, you know, was, uh, as, as w- when a comedian gets successful, a publisher will call and say, Hey, do you want to write a book? You know, your fans will buy a book that has funny jokes by you. And, and, uh, you know, he said, I don't want to write that kind of book, but I'll write a serious book. And I guess he worked together with a Columbia professor, um, to kind of, uh, try to, Figure out what was going on in the in the world of dating these days. He ended up, uh, of course, later getting in, in uh, a small amount of trouble when somebody, uh, uh, you know, said he had he had behaved uh, cattishly on a date. Uh, and so, uh, you know, those those things are hard to figure out for for those of us who weren't there. But but what I'll say is, um, but the book is um, is really fascinating as he sort of tracks uh, the changes in in romance. You know, it goes back to to studies that show you know in the 1930s in Philadelphia that that something like 25 percent of all people married uh, a person who lived in the same building as them, you know, and like 50%, you know, lived within like, like three quarters of a mile or, or some crazy thing like that. And, and, you know, how much all that's changed and, and, you know, what the dating more is. And then he travels around the world and sees the differences. And so I found that to be a very interesting book on dating. I didn't of course have anything specific to blind people, but because of the uh, interest in blind people in, in online dating and, and texting over phones and other uh, modern uh, methods of telecommunications that, that are, are easier and some in some circumstances for the blind uh, than other ways, uh, you know, it was, it was a very relevant book. So I, uh, I recommend that one. So I have a few books that I like. Um, the first one is kind of a, it's a really good book for 
catching up on exactly what are our bodies doing during sex and how do we have sex with each other and with ourselves and all that kind of good stuff. And it is called Sex with the Lights On, 200 Illuminating Sex Questions Answered. Okay. And it's, I really love it. It's basic. It does not rely on pictures. Um, By basic, I mean that it really breaks stuff down, not that it's simple or only deals with simple stuff because it's neither of those things. Um, For disability stuff, I really love The Ultimate Guide to Sex and Disability. I wish there was a more current edition, but the 2007 edition is lovely. Uh, That is a cross-disability book. So answers and questions and solutions and resources for all different kinds of disabilities, uh, all different kinds of orientations, genders, bodies, sexual preferences, uh, activities, yeah, everything from masturbation to kink, um, really good stuff again, even mm-hmm. just for learning about sex. Now, I, I wanted to um, make sure I asked you about uh, about yoga, and um, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to ask you my wise ass question about yoga, and then you <laughs> can address that, and then you can tell me about other things. Which is, uh, how do I say? There's a there's a um, uh, there's a there's a funny Simpsons line where uh, Bart um, Bart Simpson goes in for uh, karate lessons and um, he, uh, he he the the uh, the master of the dojo starts uh, explaining uh, his version of you know uh, Eastern philosophy and you know we learn karate so that we might need never use it you know and and uh, Bart says yeah well uh, I already know how not to hit a guy so uh, let's break out the nunchuck shall we you know and um and and uh, I I think of that sometimes whether it's martial arts or yoga or other things that that um. It, it sort of feels like uh, there's this physical thing and then many people who get involved uh, bind it up with a uh, spiritual or philosophical thing. And I'm always interested in the question of uh, to what extent uh, those, those two things need to go together or whether one of them is the spoonful of sugar to make the other one, which is the medicine, go down or uh, whether, no, they really are one unified whole and so forth. So I'm sort of interested in how you think of yoga. Do you think of it as a whole mind-body experience or are you like, no, this is just a form of exercise? So that's a big question that I would probably take hours to answer, but let me see what I can do. Yoga is a mind-body practice. It is a philosophy. Um, It is rooted in ancient philosophies and practices. How what we call yoga today is very different from how yoga started. Um, I don't see yoga as just a form of exercise. Western yoga has taken what is actually a very small piece of yoga and turned it into the entirety of yoga. In fact, what we know as yoga poses, for example, sun salutations, which are a series of poses, movements connected with the breath, those are only about... (sighs) 
300 to 400 years old, where the texts that we use to learn philosophy, to learn breathing practices and approaches to meditation, uh, approaches to just being, to living life, are more than a thousand years old and rooted in practices, you know, oral traditions that are much older than that. So I'm curious whether there are sort of philosophical lessons that I might be able to absorb that you could share with me, even if I can't, you know, uh, uh, sort of twist myself into into the poses or or what have you. Or let's just say I'm too lazy to. (laughs) And honestly, unless it depends on how it's taught, because if you're taught to make the twisty pretzely poses, only focusing on what you need to do to make the twisty pretzly poses, mm. you're not really going to learn a lot about yourself necessarily. Okay. Versus if you take, if the teacher takes the time and incorporates the, the principles, and it doesn't have to be going deeply into the philosophy, but okay, have you heard of Ahimsa? Uh, I have, but uh, tell, tell us more about it. So ahimsa is the concept of non-harming. Exactly. It comes from uh, Buddhist philosophy, but it also comes from yogic philosophy. Right. I learned about it first when reading about Jainism many years ago. Yes, exactly. So the yoga was born in India, and as were many, many religions and philosophical practices, um, and so there are, are overlaps. So, yeah, the idea of non-harming, the idea – and a lot of people interpret it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You hear these stories of, of people who you know, will have people sweep the street in front of them so they don't accidentally step on a bug and so forth, right? A lot of yoga philosophy is about working on the self. More of a mental practice of conscientiousness. I like to uh, ask people uh, every uh, every week on, on Dangerous Vision about uh, books they like, and in particular, um, because you know I don't want this to be a segment where where I'm just getting you know books specifically about blindness or disability or anything like that. Not that there's anything wrong with books like that if people have uh, have good ones to recommend. But what I always uh, uh, highlight to the guests is that um, you know I read lots of books when I was young, and then I more or less you know my eyesight got so bad I couldn't really read books, and I didn't know yet about Bookshare and other services. I had books on tape, but they were sort of too slow to really enjoy. And uh, and so I went through a, a, about a decade where I read lots of newspaper, magazine articles, things of that nature online, uh, read for my work, but couldn't really read books. So I kind of uh, missed out on a lot of great books. And uh, and now I'm trying to make up for it now that I have uh, Bookshare and Voice Dream Reader and other great technologies that make it possible uh, to read books. And so I'm looking for books. And in particular, I really emphasize people that I'm looking for any book that you find massively entertaining, the kind of book that you read it and you're like, oh man, I can't wait till I get to read that book again. You know, I'm going to set my calendar for a year from now and reread this because it was such a joy to read. Um, so if you have any books like that, I'm dying to hear about them. Or if there's other books you want to talk about that, that have been very meaningful in your life, anything that, uh, that you want to share with us, we'd love to hear. 
Oh, let me see. Uh, I am a huge fan of Walter Mosley. Anything ah. by Walter Mosley is marvelous. His novels are fantastic. And just just for our readers, Walter Mosley writes, uh, should we call it detective fiction? Is that, a, is that a reasonable characterization? Yeah, detective fiction. He also does some paranormal, mm-hmm. uh, kind of experimental, alternate reality kind of stuff. Um, I have been reading A Gentleman in Moscow. Sounds like a title of a book. Really, out. really, really fun book. I cannot wait to reread it. Um, I, I, I myself am a, am a huge uh, devotee of, of uh, detective fiction and similar, and uh, I've been reading the uh, John D. McDonald, uh, uh, Travis McGee uh, books, which are phenomenally entertaining. In which, it, when you when you read them, you're like, oh my gosh, so many people stole so much stuff from these books because he he started writing novels back, I think actually as early as the 40s. I think the first Travis McGee is like in 1960, um, and he wrote them all through mm. all the way up through the 80s. Um, and he's a detective who lived. Well, he's not really a detective, but he's uh, he's a guy who lives on a houseboat in Florida, and uh, when when somebody's lost something and and it can't be found, he'll go find it for them. But he gets to keep half, and and uh, it's uh, uh, it happens. The the, uh, the author John D. McDonald, after after serving as a as a lieutenant colonel in in the U.S. Army, um, then uh, came to Harvard Business School, where I teach. So I'm always proud to see a good writer from Harvard Business School, and and um, and then uh, instead of going on to an illustrious business career as as uh, people expected, he uh, he went and started. writing. Writing these uh, novels and wrote like a hundred of them. He wrote the book uh, that is uh, that was turned into the movie Cape Fear, for example. So he's written a lot of uh, really fun books. So uh, so I, uh, I'll recommend him him uh, him uh, back to you. Yeah, definitely a lot of the uh, you know current detective fiction folks you know are inspired by him, by Raymond Chandler, mm-hmm. uh, by a lot of other folks. Um, I mentioned earlier the book about. Um, kind of the memoir and uh, cooking sort of book uh, written by a guy named Michael Twitty, T-W-I-T-T-Y, and that's called The Cooking Gene. That sounds um, good. Which uh, I really enjoyed that one. And let me give you one more book. Let me see. Let me see. Yeah, while, while you think I'll mention one nonfiction book I'm reading now, I usually read like one fiction and one nonfiction book at the same time. The nonfiction book I'm reading now is called The Book of Why, W-H-Y. And uh, it's uh, written by Judea Pearl, who's a, uh, he's a sort of uh, artificial intelligence scientist. And, and basically the book is, uh, I think the subtitle is something like The New Science of Causality. And he talks about the fact that, that essentially the study of statistics for over 100 years has been focused on the idea of oh, correlation is not causal. Causation. The data can only tell us about correlation, but they can never tell us what causes what. And in the last 20 years, scientists have discovered that actually using uh, techniques that had not been previously developed or that were developed but not um, applied uh, with sufficient vigor, uh, in fact, we can uh, say much more about causality than we ever thought we could. And, uh, and of course, this is going to be essential for computer intelligence as we go forward, as we try to understand something like you know teaching a computer to diagnose um, diseases uh, or other things, you know, you, you really need to know not just what's correlated with what, but what's causing what. And uh, so it's uh, it's very exciting. And he writes it in a very uh, accessible way. So uh, the book of why. So let me ask you this to finish. Is, is I, I like to ask you if they have, um, you know, uh, one story uh, that is, you know, the story that like if I were a good enough interviewer, I would have asked you a question that would elicit just a really awesome story or a favorite story you like to tell or, or anything that 
uh, our you know listeners would find particularly interesting. I just figure I'm never going to be smart enough to ask you the best possible questions, so I may as well give you give you the chance to uh, to to share. The time I was blown off my feet into a man's arms. So I'm walking down the sidewalk on campus, uh, my college campus. And just to give you a little bit of a visual picture, I am about four foot ten. I'm fairly slightly built. Uh, I have very small hands. So I'm walking and I have my cane and I'm tapping along and there are these great gusts of wind. And I'm trying to time my steps so that I stop every time there's a gust of wind. Well, I I didn't get my timing right. And I stepped, so I was only on one foot, and the wind picked me up and started to blow me. Standing perfectly upright, I could feel the curb sliding just (laughs) under the soles of my feet. And I was being blown into the street. Still, Still standing up, not falling or anything. And all of a sudden, this guy comes running up behind me. I've got you. I've got you. And puts his arms around me to keep me from blowing away. And that's the last time you used such a large umbrella? I didn't have an umbrella. (laughs) I was just very aerodynamic, I guess. Yeah. Uh, What is it? um, Do you know the, the flying nun? Sure. Of course. Yeah. That was based on a book called The 15th Pelican, Ah. where um, she was so light and sedate, uh, petitely built, that the wind would sweep up under her habit, and she flew with the pelicans. I see. And so I guess I was doing that. Yeah. Or trying to. But instead of becoming a nun, you decided to start a website about sex. Well, yes. (laughs) Although there are actually a lot of really lovely nuns who are doing sex ed or relationship ed or helping teenagers or uh, advocating for birth control. There's some really good nuns out there. No doubt. No doubt. The, uh, well, listen, Robin, this has been such pleasure uh, talking to you. Thank you so much uh, for, for joining us here today. And um, really, I learned a lot and I laughed a lot. And uh, just thanks so much. Well, thank you. You're listening to the Dangerous Vision Podcast, a production of the Massachusetts Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired. Advocating for birth control. There's some really good nuns out there. I no doubt, no doubt. The uh, well, listen, Robin, this has been such pleasure uh, talking to you. Thank you so much uh, for for joining us here today. And um, really, I learned a lot, and I laughed a lot, and uh, just thanks so much. Well, thank you. You're listening to the Dangerous Vision Podcast, a production of the Massachusetts Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired.